Well, as I was saying, uh, today is, is Palm Sunday, and when we look at this, this really is kind of the, the big day, the beginning of the end in a lot of ways for Jesus in, in his uh, earthly ministry. It had been all building up to this moment where Jesus had been performing many signs and miracles and teaching, and his popularity and his fame was kind of growing among the people, and now he's taking this walk from Bethany to Jerusalem, about a two-mile walk. And there was many people gathering and shouting these praises to Jesus and waving their palm fronds, which is where we get the name uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, but what I notice in this story, and, and I read through these stories uh, you know, every year around the, the holidays, there's four gospel accounts of the triumphal entry or, or the Palm Sunday processional. And all of them tell you the, the whole picture of what's happening uh, but you continue to read on through that week, where today, Palm Sunday, we celebrate Jesus coming to Jerusalem. But then Friday of this week, we remember uh, when Jesus was crucified on the cross. And there's this great contrast in just a number of days of the people of Jerusalem shouting praise to Jesus, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is the King of Israel, to five days later, seemingly everyone in Jerusalem is shouting insults to Jesus and calling for his crucifixion. Now, there's some who would have been doing both. There's some who would have been doing neither and some doing only one or the other. But why this big contrast from Sunday to Friday? And so as I'm reading through these stories, these accounts this year, what kind of struck me is that God does things differently than we anticipate and expect and often appreciate in the moment. Jesus was coming into Jerusalem as king, and that was made very clear. But it was a different kind of king than the people were expecting and appreciating at the time. He's taking the path of humility into Jerusalem. And it's a reminder for us daily that God often does things we don't understand and appreciate in the time, but he's working exactly the way that he intends to and the way that's best for us. And there's some proof of that here today. Just take a look around you. Not, not at us, not in the building here, but around us. All this snow we have. We don't appreciate it, and, and like most of you, I'm done with it, and I love the snow, uh, but I've had enough. And my, my son, I was talking with him, my five-year-old son, you know, we keep saying, when do you think the snow is going to melt? Because he's excited for spring. And he looked at me the other day, and he said, Dad, it's going to be 50 years until this snow melts. <laughs> now, that was before the latest snowfall, and he may be revising his estimates. But we're all seeing this. And we don't appreciate it for what it is. Now consider where we were this summer. We're in another drought. And the ground is cracked and arid and dry. And people have been praying for moisture to come to kind of revitalize the earth. Well, God heard your prayer. And he answered that prayer very clearly. And I'm hoping God will stop answering that prayer soon. But we need this. We need this moisture, but we don't, it didn't come in the way we expected it or desired it or appreciate it in the moment. Well, that's what Palm Sunday was. 
Jesus was coming as king. He was coming exactly how he needed to to accomplish exactly what he needed to accomplish. But the people at the time didn't appreciate it for what it was. They had their own picture of who the Messiah, the king of Israel, should be. That he'd come riding on his white stallion with an army of soldiers ready to conquer the Romans and free the Israelites. But Jesus came with a different mission. They wanted political freedom, but Jesus came to give spiritual freedom from sin. They wanted him to conquer, to give them military victory, but he came to give them eternal victory over death. And they wanted Jesus to come and conquer all nations around them, but Jesus came to deliver all nations. God does things differently than we anticipate and expect and appreciate in the moment, but he does them exactly as he intends them to be for our own good in his own glory. And that brings us into today's reading. In the Gospel of John, if you're not already there, we're going to be reading the account out of John 12, verses 12 through 19. But pray with me before we read and begin our message today. Lord, we thank you uh, for all that you've done in, in this week as we come into it. And, and we know the other side of the story. We know what you accomplished and how you accomplished it and why you did what you did. And we can sing today the praises to you with sincere hearts and, and thankfulness for all that you've done. But God, you're continuing to work today. There's things in us you do in us now and for us now. There's things you're going to do in the future. And there's going to be a chance we don't understand and appreciate all that you're doing. So God, I pray that you would open up our eyes, open up our hearts, and know that your ways are higher than your, our ways, that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and we cannot begin to understand the fullness of your goodness and your glory. So today, Palm Sunday, and this week, Easter week, God, I pray that you would open up our eyes and, and fill our hearts with gratitude and praise for all that you've done and all that you're going to continue to do in our lives, that you'd receive the glory as the victorious king that you are. So God, speak to us today, and God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. John 12, uh, verses 12 through 19. And the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd was, that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. 
There's a lot of things happening at this particular moment that take a little bit of context and kind of backfill to understand what exactly is playing out in this situation. But as we go through this and remember that God works differently than we would work, differently than we expect, we see in the first couple of verses that Jesus in this moment was growing in his fame, but he was not growing conceited in that moment. To understand the next day what this means and that there's this festival happening, that there's all these people going out to meet him and hearing what he had done, we're just a few days removed from Jesus performing perhaps his, his greatest or at least most publicly impactful miracle, which is when he raised his friend Lazarus from the grave. And this happened in the town of Bethany, which is just about two miles walk from uh, Bethany to Jerusalem. And this had happened, like I said, a few days ago. Jesus had retreated into a town called Ephraim, kind of up in the hills. And now he came back down into Bethany where people were kind of clamoring for him and wanting to see him. And uh, now he is there. And the word is getting around. And Jesus, for the most part, lived a, a simple and a silent life. It wasn't until about three years before this moment that Jesus really started his public ministry. And people in his hometown of Capernaum knew who he was. He knew that he was a good teacher, and they, they noted there was something kind of different or special about him. But the signs, the miracles, the teachings all started about three years before this. And there's this continual growth in his notoriety among the people. There's kind of two opposite reactions. Some people loved Jesus, and some people hated Jesus. But at this point, right now, is probably the height of all of us. There's some people who really, really loved Jesus, and there's some people who really, really hated Jesus. And if you go on and read in verse 17, it says that the crowd that was with him, and that what we understand, this is a good number of people that were with Jesus when he raised Lazarus from the dead, continued to spread the word about him. There's this buzz about Jesus that no matter where you went, you were hearing about Jesus. And many people were lining the road because they heard that Jesus came back into Bethany and now he is coming into Jerusalem. And, and most of these people are thinking, this is it. This is the guy. This is the Messiah. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But the Pharisees, on the other hand, had already decided after the Lazarus miracle that they had enough, that they were going to kill Jesus. And it was said that once you find Jesus, we need to arrest him and we need to extinguish him. And they had already said at this point, we're going to kill Lazarus too. So you have this height in both directions of people knowing Jesus. But here we have, in the time of Passover, hundreds of thousands of people, pilgrims, coming into Jerusalem from, from lands all over the place who are gathering along this road, and they see Jesus, and they go nuts. They love Jesus. They're hearing about him. They're throwing him this processional as a king would have going into the city. Jesus was famous, but it wasn't going to his head. And it's much different than our culture, you know, the celebrity culture. Jesus at this moment is like the A-list celebrity. 
And I don't know if any of you have ever seen a celebrity mob. I've seen one in my life. Uh, I used to travel quite a bit, and, and I saw uh, a person come out of a hotel with a couple of uh, you know, security guards. I have no idea who it was. Uh, I'm really bad with pop culture. I'm sure it was someone unimportant. But immediately, people start kind of shouting and gathering around this person as they walk around the hotel, and then more people are coming. And I even go up trying to figure out what's going on. Not sure why I'm excited, but I am. And he, he goes about two blocks into his car, and he drives off. But in the meantime, there's probably hundreds of people that gathered around him. But celebrities in that situation typically are going to eat that up. They're going to love it. And they're going to wear the flashy suits, and they're going to have the expensive watches and the jewelry, and they're going to walk around with just kind of this, this puffed-out chest and feeling very important. And Jesus could have done that in this moment, but he took the most humble approach into Jerusalem to communicate who he was. These people along the road, consider this like the celebrity mob here, they're taking palm branches and, and waving them in the air. And we read in the other accounts that they were even laying them before the feet of Jesus. And the palm branch had a lot of significance here. This is kind of like the national symbol of Israel. This is like their flag, but it was a symbol of victory and triumph and freedom. They were proclaiming in this moment that all of their hope as people and as a country was in this one man, Jesus. We also read in the other accounts that they're laying down their their cloaks or their outer garments. And this was something that they would do for kings as they would come back from a victory, from war. They'd lay down their cloaks as a sign of respect for them, and it'd be walked over by all of the armies and the horses and everything. And you think about it, it's kind of gross, because they're putting on their jacket after all the dirt and the mud and, you know, what the horses kind of do. Uh, and they're putting their, their, their cloaks back on. Uh, but that's what they're doing for Jesus now. But even in, in this, the word for cloaks in the Greek can also mean a shawl or a prayer shawl. And when they would pray, they'd often have embroidered around the shawl messianic prophecy, that they'd be looking for the Messiah to come. So this is symbolizing for them that we no longer need to look for the Messiah, the King of Kings. We're going to lay this down before you because we believe you are that person. Now, any of us in that kind of situation would have the temptation for our heads to grow very large and say, I am a very important person And I deserve everything from all of you. But in this, Jesus was going not to receive, but to give. He's going to save. We go on to read what they were saying to Jesus in this moment, what they were shouting and singing to him. They're saying, Hosanna, which directly translated means to to save. Save us, Lord. They're, they're, They're asking Jesus to save them. And this is an expression of praise that was only directed to the Lord alone who could save. They're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Which is kind of a general Passover greeting that they would give to every pilgrim. But this, uh, in this context, they were praising Jesus as the Messiah who comes from the Lord, the promised deliverer. And they took it up an ante. And all of this, by the way, is from Psalm 118. But they said, blessed is the king of Israel, which makes it even more clear what they're expressing to Jesus. Blessed is he 
who comes in the line of the kings to be the great king, the Messiah who is promised in the line of David to take the throne of Israel forever. Jesus had never been more popular than this moment as he's receiving this praise and this acclamation from the thousands who lined the road to Jerusalem that day. But sadly, as we said, many of them did not understand what Jesus was actually coming to do, what he was truly coming to accomplish. For good reason or bad, with, with full understanding or full misunderstanding, people were thrilled that Jesus was entering Jerusalem, and they were praising him loudly. But he didn't let it go to his head, like me and you would do. Jesus knew what he was coming to do. And praises or not, Jesus was going to do it. Jesus was coming to be a different kind of king. So as we read on in verse 14 and 15, that Jesus was very clearly coming into Jerusalem as a vaulted and glorious king. But he took the place of a servant. Jesus came as a servant king. And it's common, as I said, for, for kings to enter cities and for the streets to be lined up and for people to have great fanfare and excitement and joy for the kings to come. But normally, kings would come with a great show, a big white stallion and, and bronze chariots and, and, and just hundreds or thousands of people and the armies and trumpets blasting. And you know, everything I just described is how Jesus will come one day as the victorious king. But Jesus came this day as the servant king. And he fulfilled the prophecy that we see here in Zechariah 9.9. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion, which is talking about the, the, the people of Israel, the people of God. Do not be afraid. See, your king is coming and he's seated on a donkey's colt. Now, this had great significance, the donkey. And Jesus was exclaiming, expressing that he's not coming to conquer everything. He's coming in peace among people. The donkey was a sign of peace. And any Jew should have known this prophecy and what was happening. Jesus was not coming to battle with people Jesus was coming to battle for people, to come to offer peace, to give peace to all people and all nations. People knew the what of Jesus as a king, that he was coming to conquer, but they didn't know the how, how he would conquer and why he would conquer. And the only way for Jesus to accomplish what he needed to accomplish was to die. He became a servant, even a servant unto death. Now in the Luke account of the triumphal entry, there's a moment in which Jesus has this emotional reaction to all that's happening. As, as there's these crowds lined up and he's coming in, and there's a moment sometime in the processional, probably less than a mile away, he can actually see Jerusalem up on the hill. It says that Jesus saw the city and he wept. This is on Palm Sunday. 
in the triumphal entry. Jesus saw the city and he wept over it. This is Luke 19.41. And the reason why he cried was for God, for these people, God's people. And he said, if you only knew today what would truly bring you peace, but your eyes cannot see it. Jesus came as king, but not as a conquering king, as a servant king. A king who would bring peace, not just to his people, but to all people who would believe in him. He came as a king, but took the role of a servant. He doesn't work in the ways that we anticipate or even appreciate. And the last observation I have from this, we see in verse 16. That the disciples, those closest to him, who heard him day in and day out for three years straight, who knew the prophecies, who who heard from Jesus everything he was going to do, either directly or indirectly, many, many times, did not understand what was going on. They didn't get it. And they knew that Jesus as Messiah would be highly exalted. But first, God's plan was that he would be lowly humbled. The disciples did not understand anything that was going on until after Jesus was glorified. And what that means is after Jesus ascended to heaven and was seated in the highest place, the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realm and the throne room of God. It's after that, they're finally kind of understanding everything that had happened this day at the triumphal entry. See, the disciples had lots of faith in Jesus as the Messiah, as the coming, conquering king. And I'm sure that they're assuming Jesus finally said, okay, the time is right. I'm going into Jerusalem to do what I came to do. Their minds are still wired under their own understanding, I'm I'm certain. Like, all right, Jesus is going to go in. He's going to walk straight into Jerusalem. He's going to kind of flick the Roman armies away. He's going to sit right on the throne of David, and he's going to rule over all the land. And so they're thinking, all right, Jesus, if that's what you're doing at this moment, let's just celebrate. Get the big stallion. Let's just have the trumpets blowing, and let's go do this thing. But Jesus, in the other accounts, instructs his disciples to get a a colt of a donkey. And they're kind of like, okay, and going along with this, and they're seeing all that's happening in the processional, and they're like, not what I was thinking. And, and they get into Jerusalem, and they're probably ready for Jesus just to you know, really stick it to them, and they're like, okay, he's just talking a lot, and now he's arrested. Uh, now he's dying. Now he's dead. And then they see him raised from the grave. They don't even know it's him. And all this is happening, we know even in Acts, that after Jesus had ascended to heaven, after he had been raised from the grave, they just look up in the sky and they're like, now what? You know, at times we really, uh, we really give the disciples a hard time because they didn't understand everything that's going on. But if we're honest with ourselves, truly honest with ourselves, we may have a good understanding of all that Jesus did because we have the benefit of knowing the whole story front to back. But we don't truly understand what Jesus is doing right now. We don't truly appreciate all that Jesus is going to do for us, both now and for eternity. The depths 
of God's love and wisdom, are un- we cannot understand them. We cannot fully appreciate it. And that's what's happening right now in this moment, is that they knew Jesus deserved to be exalted to the highest place, but they didn't understand that he needed to be humbled to the lowest place first. Jesus had to die before he could be raised to the highest place. Jesus had a different plan than they had, and they did not understand it or appreciate it at the time. And it's all summed up pretty well in one of my favorite portions of Scripture. Now, this is in Philippians 2, where it talks about the humility of Christ and all he had gone through in order to be exalted at such a high place. In verse 6 of of Philippians 2, it it talks about Jesus, who is a great example for us, that who who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. And he took, by taking the very nature of a servant, and being made in human likeness. So Jesus, who himself was God, did not grasp at this as something to be used for his own advantage, but rather he made himself, he humbled himself into nothing to be a servant. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What this is saying is that not only did he humble himself by being a person, Even though he's God, he humbled himself to death, and not just death, but the worst, most despicable, most painful kind of death, the criminal's death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself as low as anyone ever could. But, therefore, it says, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above Every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Before Jesus could be exalted to the highest place, he had to be humbled to the lowest place. And it's something even his own disciples, who knew him very well, did not understand that day. God works differently than we anticipate and appreciate in the time. It's a great example for us, this story, the triumphal entry of Jesus. And this is a consistent message that Jesus had preached over and over to his disciples, one of these paradoxes that if you want to be exalted, you must first be humbled. And God will humble the proud, So if you don't humble yourself, it'll happen for you eventually. But he talks about this in this scenario as he's having dinner with the Pharisees, and he notices that the guests, these Pharisees, just plop themselves right in the seat of honor at the table, which is a place actually reserved for guests. But Jesus says, don't be too presumptuous here. Don't think too highly of yourself, because you might be sitting in that place of honor, and someone even greater than you is going to walk through that door And you're going to have to have this moment of like, you know, shuffling down the table a little bit, kind of sheepishly, as this person uh, walks in and sits in the place that's rightfully theirs. 
So he says, instead, go ahead and just stay off to the side and wait to be invited by the host into the, into the seat of honor. And then you'll be exalted. He goes on to say here then in verse 11 that those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is God's way. And, and the word for exalted literally means to be lifted up or to be raised up. And the word for humble means to be made low, to make yourself low. And so what Jesus is saying, again, it's one of these paradoxes of the faith, that the way up is down. The way to be exalted is to be humbled. This is the way of God. And it's a way that we don't fully understand or appreciate for what it is. See, we think of things very, very differently. We think that the way up is up. Self-exaltation. If you want to be great in this world, just call yourself great. Have pride in yourself. Boast and brag and flaunt about yourself. Attempt to convince yourself and others that you truly are at the top. We all struggle with this in some ways and in in a variety of of fashions. Maybe just talking with people for the first time, you have this tendency to want to share the best and most impressive parts of yourselves, to really vault yourself over them and, and name drop all these famous people you knew or met once. But God's way is different than that. It's taking an interest in others and truly loving and encouraging them for who you are. Build those up around you. Be humble so you're not humbled. We also think that the way up is over. And by that, I mean over other people. Self-promote yourself. Use the backs of others to get where you need to go. And this might come in the form of putting other people down, talk behind their backs and criticize them. And if you can make people seem small in your own eyes, then it'll make yourself feel bigger. And get that nasty habit of, of putting down others around you in order to feel better about yourself. It might just be selfishness that you will put yourself first in every opportunity you have and you're always looking out for number one. If you want to go up, you climb on the backs of others. That's how we think the way up is, is over others. But God's way is to love others in the way that you would like to be loved, to consider their needs as important or more important than yours. Those who are proud will be humbled. We also think that the way up, the way to make it is to go around, right? to go around the hard things in life. Self-preservation. This is also known as, as entitlement. Now, you shouldn't have to do the difficult things. You should go through life avoiding every bit of displeasure and discomfort. We take the shortcuts because we believe we're special and there's no discipline. There's no sacrifice. There's no pain in your life. The way up, the way to make it, is to go around the difficult things. But God will call you to do incredibly difficult things in life and take you through hard seasons. And he has you right where he wants you because you learn that your strength is in your weakness. God's way is to walk through the hard things. And when you avoid those things, that's called the sin of omission. 
When you know you need to do things, but you decide not to do them. And the sin of omission is a sneakily dangerous sin because you don't feel the effects. You don't feel the burden of that sin. You simply transfer it to the people around you. So you think the way up is around problems, but all you're doing is transferring your problems to other people. The way up is not around. And the last part, we think, where we get this wrong, is we think that the way up is through. And this is one of those sneaky things where you might view it as a good quality that you're the type of person you just lowers your head and you just charge through the things in life. And you can be prideful and boastful in how strong and capable you are. There's no reliance on God and his strength and his peace and his comfort, but rather on yourself. You don't take help. You don't accept charity. The only way to get this done is you. So you just begin to give yourself all the credit and all the glory. The God's way is different. It means being a part of something bigger than yourself, to find partnership and unity with those around you, and most importantly, to find God's strength in your weakness. Now, what we think is very different than what God says. And all four of those things, up, over, around, through, are rooted in pride in ourselves. And pride is the opposite of humility. What I learned in this time is that God's way is humility. And his example is for us to live out. God opposes opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. The way up is down. If you want to be exalted, then you need to be humbled. And it's not a way of saying, I'm so humble that I'm the most humble person I ever knew. I'm the most humble person in this room. No, it's humbling yourself before God in the quietness of your own heart in the most authentic of ways. And I leave off with this verse from James 4.10. That when you humble yourselves before the Lord, he will lift you up. That's what we learn in this week is that there's nothing we could have done to bring peace to ourselves and peace to this world. There's nothing we could have done to conquer sin and death. Jesus did that for us on the cross. He came as the servant king. And now he is the victorious king. Humble yourselves before God. Trust in him. Rely on him. And know that he's done everything that you need. Remember what Jesus came to do for you. Now, all of us have a problem in our life. We need something conquered in our life. And that problem is sin. Sin is the root of all problems in the world. Every bit of pain, every bit of hardship, every trial you have in life is either a result of your own sin or someone else's sin. But sin itself is the root of all issues. You have to ask yourself, when you consider Jesus as king, as Messiah, are you looking for a solver or a savior? Do you want Jesus just to solve every problem in your life so your life can be easy and simple and good and with no thought of eternity? Or are you looking for a savior, one to solve your greatest problems, sin and death? 
And it just comes in this moment of humility before God saying, I messed up. I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. And I need forgiveness. And I want to turn away from those things and I want to turn before you and trust in you that you are my Lord, you are my Savior, and I want to live for you from this day forward. Humble yourself before God to your lowest point, and he will lift you up and exalt you to eternal life. Let's pray as we close. Well, God, we thank you for your example to us, what you did for us, the mission you came to do, which is to come to be our Savior. You died on that cross to pay for our sins, that we can not only be forgiven from sins, but our sins can be completely removed from us, that now you see us through the righteousness of your Son. God, I pray that we'd be humbled before that. And as we think about that this week and we understand what you did and on Good Friday as we remember your sacrifice and we remember what you did on Easter as you, you raised from the grave and you conquered death, we know, God, no one else could do that. None of us could do that. So, God, may we just be humbled before you in a place that just brings us to authentic praise and just love for you and appreciation for all you've done. So God, I just pray for that this week. As, as we have this time, the, this week set apart to think about what you've done in the most miraculous of ways, God, may you be glorified here. May we be less. May you be more. God, may you be glorified in this place as we humbly come before you. So God, we just thank you for this. We, we trust you in all things. And this week, I pray for these people that they'd go out with just a renewed sense of appreciation for all the ways that you're working, even when we don't understand it even when we don't appreciate it, that we know, God, that all you do, all you're working is together for our good, the people of those who love you. And we just rest in that as you give us peace and grace day by day. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.